0: Um, Well, I want to begin today a new series of teachings and uh, the series is called concrete and the reason we're calling it concrete is because in our world concrete is the stuff that you build on concrete is the stuff in our world that you lay the foundation of and then you build everything else on top of it and so we're asking the question with this series what is the concrete what is the stuff that you build on for a life in Jesus as, for a life as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, what is the concrete? What is the stuff that you build on? So, for the next four weeks, we're going to talk about that. How do you just build a life uh, on Jesus? And what is that? What does that actually mean? So, we're going to begin today by talking about the Bible. Uh, we're going to start our conversation talking about the Bible. And a question that I get a lot of times about the Bible is how do I get something out of the Bible? Right? Like most people would say, even if you, you don't go to church regularly, most people would say, yeah, the Bible, that's foundational. That's concrete. Like, that's the, that's the foundational basis. you got to know the Bible. you got to interact with the Bible at some level. But a, lot, a question a lot of us have is, I don't know how to do that. How do I actually get something out of the Bible when I read it? Uh, when I was a little kid, my mom and dad used to take me to my grandma's house. And I remember the first thing I would always notice whenever we would go to my grandma's house is that My grandma had this coffee table, and on the coffee table, she would have this glass uh, dish, and inside that glass dish would be a bunch of hard candies. Um, Actually, I think everybody's grandma had that same dish and that same hard candies. You know what I'm talking about? I think everybody had that at their grandma's house. And so I would want the candy. I would come into my grandma's house. I was just a little kid, and I would want the candy. And so the deal was, my grandma would say, you can have a piece of candy, but first you have to come over here and give me a kiss. And that was the deal. I had to greet my grandmother. I had to give her a hug and a kiss. And then I could have the piece of candy. And I swear that woman would lick her lips. Like, come here. And she would just like grab hold of me and pull me in. And she would just lean in and just go for it. And my my whole face would be wet. Uh, And so I would come away and like I would get the candy. But then I wasn't very hungry for it anymore. You know what I mean? I would get what I wanted, but I would sort of lose a piece of myself in the process. <laughs> and uh, for a lot of people, that's what reading the Bible is like. It's kind of this, you know, I want God's blessing in my life, you know, I, but in order to get what I want from God, ah, oh, I'm going to have to read the Bible. I'm going to have to actually engage with Scripture and read the Bible. And so that's kind of the attitude that many people have when it comes to reading the Bible for other people it's like the extreme opposite end of that spectrum for others almost it's like an academic conquest to read the bible right as if the goal is just to shove as much information in my head as i possibly can and know everything and be able to argue anybody into a corner with what i know about the bible and almost as if their attitude is you know god's going to give me a piece of candy as long as i can answer every question perfectly right And the problem with both of those approaches to reading the Bible is they both approach the Bible as if it's just information, just information to fill your head with. And so what I would say, and if we could begin this morning, in order to get something out of the Bible, if you actually want to get something out of the Bible, the place you have to start is you have to decide for yourself. Nobody else can decide this for you, but you have to decide for yourself whether or not you believe that God is actually trying to speak to you through his word. That's something you have to decide for yourself. Uh, now, some of you are here today, and maybe you came with a friend or a family member, and you're still kind of investigating this whole thing, and maybe you would say, I "Me, mean, I'm not sure that I believe that the Bible is true. The, the things that the Bible says in it are true. I just want to say to you, that is awesome. You do not have to agree with me on that at all today. Uh, in fact, we exist for you, and we are thrilled you're here. Frontline literally exists for you, for people coming and just learning about faith and uh, investigating what they believe. So I'm going to talk about what I believe about the Bible, and you are welcome to listen in. And um, I believe, even if you don't agree with me, you're still there's something still that you're going to learn today. Um, but I believe that God's word is his attempt to actually speak to us. And I think in order to get something out of the Bible, we have to decide where we land on that belief. Um, So uh, first thing there, if you're taking notes, I just want to say it this way. God doesn't want to just inform you through his word. He wants to transform you. God doesn't want to just get more information in your head. He doesn't want to just inform you. When it comes to the Bible, God actually wants to transform you. Uh, one of my favorite books is a book by Donald Miller called "A Million Miles in a Thousand Years," and in that book, he tells the story of his friend Bob Goff, and Bob Goff and his family. Some of you know Bob Goff and read some of his books. Um, about 20 years ago, Bob Goff and his and his family on a New Year's Day, they were so bored. They decided he talked to his kids and they decided let's start a neighborhood parade, and so they they began planning this neighborhood parade through through their neighborhood. But then Bob realized, you know actually being a part of a, or actually watching a parade actually isn't very fun. Parades really aren't that fun to watch. What actually makes a parade fun is being in a parade, right? And so they made this rule with the neighborhood parade. No one's allowed to watch the parade. That's the one rule. Anybody can be in it, but no one is allowed to watch the parade. And so as the story is told in the book, Bob and his kids go around to all his neighbor's houses, and they knock on the door, and they say, "Uh, listen, here's the deal. In, In a little while, you may look out your window, and you may see a parade going by, in the neighborhood, I want you to look away. I literally want you to turn away and don't watch it. But if you wanna come out and participate, if you wanna put on a costume and grab some balloons and come out and be a part of the neighborhood parade, you are more than welcome to do that. But I'm gonna ask that you please not watch it. And so for 20 some years, every year, this neighborhood parade on New Year's Day has just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and more and more elaborate with floats. And the deal is nobody can watch it. No one is allowed to spectate and sit down and watch it, but anybody in the neighborhood can be a part of it. And I love that story because I think that's kind of what the Bible is intended to be. If you read the Bible almost as a spectator, just watching it, as if you're watching this group of people go by, this ancient group of people and this, uh, this story about these ancient people, and all you're doing is just spectating and kind of watching it in order, to get, get, in order to garner some information, it's probably boring. It's probably irrelevant. And frankly, it's just not that fun to watch the parade. But if you see the Bible as, no, this is an interactive story. It's about me. It's about my life. It's something I'm actually invited to participate in. That's when the Bible clicks and becomes alive for us, because I think that's what it was intended to be. Let's take a look at a couple scriptures that talk about uh, what the Bible is intended to be. So this is the Bible speaking about itself, okay? So let's look at a couple passages. First of all, 2 Timothy 3.16 Um, The writer Paul is speaking to Timothy, who he's just installed as the pastor of the church in Ephesus. He says this, all scripture, talking about the Bible itself, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. That's how the Bible speaks about itself. And then the next passage from Hebrews 4, The writer says, for the word of God is alive and powerful. The word of God is what? Alive and powerful. Turn to your neighbor and say, did you know that the word of God is alive and powerful? Did you know that? The word of God is alive and powerful. Very good. I'm just making sure you're awake today. It goes on, it's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. So if you look at those passages, the Bible itself, what it's saying about itself is you're meant to interact with it. You're meant to interact with this text. You're meant to see yourself in it. You're meant to allow it to speak into your innermost thoughts and desires and behavior patterns and decisions of life that you have to make. The Bible... Is not a parade that you can just spectate and watch, but anybody can be a part of it. Anybody can join themselves into it. It's alive and it's powerful and it's meant to actually be something that we interact with in our lives. The moment the Bible comes alive for us is the moment that we realize that it is not just a library of books written by over 40 authors over the course of 1,500 years about an ancient people in an ancient time and what happened to them. I mean, the Bible is about that. You could break it down and say, yeah, that is what it what it's about. But the bigger picture of what the Bible is, is the Bible is the story of God and humanity and this world. It's the direction that all of history is headed in. And it's about you and it's about me and it's about the world we live in today. So very simply, what is the Bible? The my definition, and this is just my 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 words on it, my explanation of it. I want to say the Bible is a living story about God and the people he created. It's a living story. It's alive and powerful. What do I mean by that, that it's a living story? I mean it's a story that when people read it, they actually understand their own life better. They understand the world that they're living in better. The Bible is the framework by which we understand everything else in our world. The problem with the Bible is that most of us have been told an incomplete version of the story. And actually, if you have grown up in a religious context, or maybe you haven't grown up in church at all, and you've heard kind of an incomplete version of the story, where certain parts have been overemphasized, and certain other parts of the story have been cut out or skipped over or underemphasized, the Bible is actually dangerous. And my belief is that many people in our world today are damaged, they're hurt, believe it or not, by the Bible. This thing that we're invited to participate in that's so life-giving, that can set people free and introduce them to their creator. Uh, When people have an incomplete version of the story, when people have built their lives not on the concrete, the, the full story of Scripture, but on this incomplete version of Scripture, some of the worst atrocities over the last 2,000 years have been justified by the Bible. Some of the worst crimes against humanity uh, have been done in the name of religion and with Bible verses used to back up the logic and reason for it. The Bible has this power to set people free and and to move people into their purpose and their destiny and to save them and introduce them to God. And it also has the power to really take us in a bad direction. If we don't get a complete version of the story, things can go so wrong. This is what the great writer uh, A.W. Tozer, great Christian writer, was trying to communicate when he said, nothing less than a whole Bible can make a whole Christian. Nothing less than an entire Bible can make an entire Christian. We need a complete version of the story to build on or things go bad. So what I want to do in the next few minutes is I just want to give you a simple framework to understand the story of scripture. It's a living, active, powerful story that we see ourselves in, and it explains uh, your life and my life and the direction everything is headed. So this is just a simple framework. So this is meant to be like a 60,000 foot flyover, uh, okay? And so I would highly recommend you write this down and we're just gonna wor- work our way through it today. And um, again, it's kind of a big picture look at it, but, but we're gonna work our way through the entire framework of the story of the Bible. Um, and, and you can put it in these four words. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. The big movements of Scripture could be put into these four categories, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. So all I want to do is is say you need a complete version of that story with all the parts emphasized, or else you lose the meaning of what the Bible is trying to say, and it's hard to understand our world and what the Bible is saying to our world. So I just want to walk through each one of these pieces one at a time. Let's start with creation. You ready? Okay, good. Glad to hear it. So creation is the first uh, movement in scripture. So And these are just some words I tried to put to this. It begins with God creating the world and calling it good. God begins by creating the world and he calls it good. Then he gives the world the power to keep creating. So he loads his creation with the ability to reproduce and to keep creating and to partner with him to keep taking the world forward. The Bible actually begins with creation with shalom, which means peace. It's this idea of wholeness, of uh, right relationships with God and with others and with the created world. The first people had shalom, peace, and they had blessing. That's where the story begins. Now why does that matter? Uh, It matters because it's very, very important when you're reading the Bible to begin in the beginning. And I say that because there are many people who did not begin in the beginning. They were not uh, told to start the story there when they began to study and read the Bible. Uh, and so people who didn't begin in the beginning like this, if you grew up in a religious context where you didn't have that as the foundational kind of starting point, um, you were told that the world is bad. And basically, just on, its, on a path toward destruction, that people are bad, uh, that there's nothing really good or redeeming about our world. And basically, people who have been told that, Uh, they have this view of God, that God is basically just angry about it all. He's really ticked off about how bad it is and how messed up everything is, and he's this kind of mean, hateful, angry God who's just seething with anger at people and how they've kind of gone astray. (laughs) But that's not actually how the Bible begins. It actually begins with this loving God who creates people in his own image, and he creates a world, and he calls it good. And, And he you know, loads it with potential. So people talk about original sin. If you've grown up in a religious context, that may be a term that you're familiar with, original sin. But the story doesn't begin with original sin. The story actually begins with original blessing. That's where it starts. Now, what does that mean about you? What does that mean about me? Like why, why do I care? The, the reason is because what this means about you, what this means about me, if you start in the beginning of the story of Scripture, is it means you... We're created with a purpose. And you are loaded with potential. You are loaded. You're a person who has incredible potential to partner with God and to keep taking the creation forward. But I would say you're also loaded with potential to do the opposite. You're loaded with potential to make devastating decisions, to destroy the earth, and to take things in a negative direction. We as human beings are good, we're created in God's image. And we're loaded with potential to either do more good and partner with God and find our purpose or to go in a really negative direction. That's how the story begins. And it's important that you start there. Okay, next piece of this is the fall. The next reality of the story of Scripture (coughs) is the fall. And uh, again, just a couple sentences. Adam and Eve rejected God's rule over them. Those were the first two human beings because they represent all of humanity their action ref- affects us too we have through our attitudes and our actions rejected god's rule and this rebellion results in a physical and spiritual death so that's the second movement in scripture Now, this is very early on in scripture that this second movement happens now here's what happens there are some people who grew up and they they basically just sort of skip over this part of the story or, or maybe you haven't been familiarized with this part of the story. And people who skip over the fall and brokenness, um, basically they grow up believing that, you know, we're all just good just the way we are. And we're, everybody should just accept me just the way I am. In fact, there really is no such thing as wrong and right or bad and good. It's just, it's just whatever you want to say is good or bad or whatever you, decision you want to make for yourself. And so people who haven't been told this part of the story, the part of the, about the fall, what happens to them is they don't know what to do with brokenness and sin and failure in their own lives. People who have only been told that they're good and they're good no matter what and everything's great, eventually something gets broken, they fail, they mess up, something doesn't go the way they want and they have no idea what's going on and they have no explanation. And in actuality, all of us, Have a story that involves brokenness all of us have a story that involves uh, pain and hurt and rejection if you were to ask me my life story and if I were to say to you I mean you you know this intrinsically if I were to say here's my life story Um, I started out winning and basically I won everything I was a part of and then I went from there winning everything to just basically becoming very 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 successful and so successful in fact that everything I planned to do basically worked out exactly the way I planned it with absolutely no surprises And then I married the prom queen. Uh, Well, you hate me, actually, if if that's my story. And you hate me for two reasons. One, because that's not fair. Two, because you don't even believe it. Because you know and I know that's nobody's story. Nobody has a story like that. Everybody's story eventually involves brokenness, failure, and sin. And if we don't understand the fall, we don't understand our own story. It means that for us, all of us are going to experience failure, and I'm here to tell you, getting fired from your job, uh, getting benched by the coach, um, having to make a public apology in front of a group of people—I've had to do that a few times. This is the best stuff of life. I'm serious; it is. It's the best stuff of life because that—those are the moments where we realize our need for forgiveness. We realize our need for a rescue. We realize our need to not prop ourselves up and that all the answers are found within ourselves, but we realize we need help from the outside. The story of God begins with creation. It's good. It has purpose. It is loaded with potential. And then we all experience failure. We all experience brokenness. And we all find ourselves in need of rescue, every single one of us. So if you look at the Bible, after the point of the fall, most of the Old Testament, leading up to the next part of the story, which is redemption, um, most of it is just a failed attempt, one after another, of human beings to try to fix themselves. A failed attempt after failed attempt to try to fix what's broken inside of them. They try a king. They try living up to these standards and laws. They try all, all different kinds of things. They worship other idols. They go through an exile. I mean, it's just... All these painful stories of humanity just not being able to do it. And what we're supposed to learn from that is none of those things actually fix humanity. And we can see ourselves in all the things that they tried. And then you get to the next part of the story, which is redemption. And the story, of re- the, the next framework of Scripture is called redemption. God implements a master plan for redeeming his world and rescuing fallen people. In the person of Jesus Christ... God himself comes to renew the world and restore his people. His death and resurrection are the hope of the story. Um, Now, people who focus on this part of the story, the redemption part of the story and who Jesus is, but they haven't learned the framework of what came before it. You know what my observation has been? Most people, if all they've been ever told, if you grew up in a context where all you were told is, accept Jesus, accept Jesus, accept Jesus. What happens to people like that if they don't understand the whole framework of the Bible, if they're not building on that foundation, is they don't realize their need for Jesus. Literally, they're like, they're told, accept Jesus, accept Jesus, accept Jesus. And they're like, why? I'm good? Seriously, I, I'm good. I don't need Jesus. Why would I need Jesus? Why would I need some, something like that in my life? And what's happening is they're not connecting their own story of brokenness their own struggles their own failures they're not connecting them to the story of the creation the story of the fall they're not realizing there's something they were designed to be but because of sin and brokenness they're not living up to that and the only way they can live up for that live up to that is by letting god rescue them letting jesus himself become their savior So, what happens a lot of times is we grew up in religious contexts where we were just told, accept Jesus, accept Jesus, accept Jesus. And our basic response was, okay, but why? And we don't even realize our need for Jesus. And understanding the entire story helps us understand who Jesus was and understand why he came, why he did the things he did, why he died on a cross, why he rose from the grave. I, I would say it this way Imagine watching your favorite movie. Think about your favorite movie. Imagine that all you ever did was watch the climax scene of that movie. So you didn't watch anything that came before it. You know, think of your mo- the most powerful movie you've ever watched. And o- imagine all you ever saw was like the high point, the climax scene, the big moment that everything in the movie builds up to. Well, if you were watching that and all you watched was the climax scene, all you'd be doing is going, well, who's that character? And why did that character say that thing to that other character? And why did they do that? And why did that character respond back to that other character in that way? I just, I don't get it. And that's a lot of people's experience with Jesus. They, they kind of see him, they see the climax scene in the movie because that's all they've ever been told and they don't connect it to their own story and their own life and their own brokenness and therefore they don't realize their need for him. What this means is that we need to understand who Jesus was to his own people in his own context in order to fully understand who he is in our lives and in our context. Next week, that's what we're going to do. We're gonna take the whole message next week and we're gonna talk about who is Jesus and what am I supposed to do with Jesus? That's literally the message. What am I supposed to do with Jesus? And we're gonna look at him and, and who he was and oftentimes, if you've been a part of Frontline for a while, you know whenever we get to a story in the Gospels and we talk about Jesus, this is the reason why we'll give you all this explanation of this is what he, This is the group of people he was talking to, this is what he was saying, uh, this was what was going on historically in this area of the world during this time because it helps us to understand the context of who Jesus is and where he comes from in the bigger story of Scripture. And so next week, we're going to really drill into that and talk about Jesus specifically. But the story is, you're created with a purpose, and you're loaded with potential. And then all of us in humanity, we go through fallenness. We go through brokenness. We need to be rescued. We need forgiveness. And for all of us, the story points toward Jesus. The entire Bible, in fact, is about him. It points everything toward him. No other solution to the problems uh, of humanity were going to be enough. Believe me, they try it all in the Old Testament. And Jesus comes along as the high point, redemption. But the story does not stop there. The story does not end with redemption. Go ahead. The last part of the story of Scripture, we want to understand the complete story to build our lives on. Is restoration God promises to renew the whole world the restoration of all things will take place in two ways first Christ will return to judge evil and second he will usher in God's peace in his eternal kingdom and this is what the Bible points toward and we are living right now in history between Jesus first arrival and redemption and Jesus' second arrival, which is going to be restoration, where he'll return to judge evil and usher in God's kingdom, his eternal kingdom, what we call heaven. Now, why is that important? What And what happens to people when they don't hear that part of the story? Some of you grew up in a context where you were told the first three parts of the story and you weren't told this part of the story. And For those of us who grew up in that context, um, basically what we come to understand is that this world doesn't really matter. People who weren't told this part of the story kind of say, well, This world doesn't matter, and as long as I'm saved and I'm good, that's all that counts. And they forget that this world actually matters. (laughs) God is going to return and restore this world. And people, human beings, matter to God. All human beings matter to God. And he is actively pursuing them in this time. And, And the church has a role to play. As we have our purpose restored to us, our role is to continue to work with God in the purpose of restoring all things, and helping people know the gospel message, and helping people come to Christ. You see, some Christians get confused. If they don't study this part, they think their job is to judge the whole world. Jesus says, don't worry, I'm going to come back at the end at restoration. I'm going to judge all the evil in the world. It's not your job to do that. You're not supposed to be doing that. I didn't set you up as the judge of the whole world. Your job, Jesus says, I'm going to take care of that part. Your job is to participate in the work of redemption the telling of the gospel, inviting people into the redemption that you've experienced yourself. That's the church's job. God will judge evil and he will restore all things. We get to be part of telling the message of going and being sent as the church and helping other people step into that hope and that promise of Jesus. So that's the story. That's the f- overall 60,000-foot framework of Scripture, go ahead to that next one, just to the, again as a review. It's creation, fall, redemption, restoration. We have to build our lives on that complete story of Scripture and focus on all the parts of it, or else we get completely lost and out of track. Now, maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, that's nice, uh, but what what am I supposed to do with that? How, how does that actually help me in my life? Um, I'm, a, I'm here to tell you... Uh, I go to this in my mind a lot. Whenever I get stuck, uh, whenever I'm maybe stuck reading the Bible, or maybe I'm stuck in just a circumstance in life, going and kind of understanding where am I in the ongoing story of creation in the world, this helps me quite a bit. I'll give you an an example um, recently, Uh, April, the month of April is Autism Awareness Month, and some of you know this. Every year, it's, it's kind of a focus or, or a, a focal point in our world. My wife and I have uh, a high-functioning autistic son. And high-functioning autism basically means you can speak, but you have absolutely no filter. That's what that means, okay? Literally, he will say whatever comes into his head. It just says it. And uh, every year in the month of April, his school has done this big focus on Autism Awareness Month. And there's all this celebration and all this awareness and all this teaching that goes on around kids with autism. And um, and for every year he's been doing this. And so Aaron, uh, this past year he was in fifth grade, now he's in sixth grade. So this past April, fifth grade, every year they do this big thing at his school for autism awareness. And this past April was the first year he kind of became aware of this and and really was paying attention to it. And he was starting to kind of get the idea that, hey, maybe this has something to do with me. And so, uh, I was driving him home from school. I pick him up and drive him home from school every day. And so, last April, there was a day where we were in the car driving home from school like we do every day, and he turns to me and he says, Dad, what is autism? It's the first time he's ever asked that. We'd never had that conversation before. And so, I said, well, you know, some people's brains work differently differently. Than other people's brains and some people are even though they're very very smart they just think and they learn differently than others and there are some people who actually uh need some help and they need others to come alongside them in life uh because it's hard for them to learn in in ways that are uh the other people learn i gave him this basic you know definition of how we think differently and that kind of thing so he had like a basic understanding of what autism meant so then we're driving along he's silent for another few minutes and then he asks a question Uh, that, frankly, I have been preparing for for years now. It's a question that I've literally rehearsed a speech in my head for for the better part of the last decade of his life. And the question he asked was, he said, Dad, do I have autism? And when he asked that question, I launched into this prepared speech I had. This may sound weird, but because Aaron is high-functioning autistic, I've always known, I mean, I've, I think Carrie and I both have had this sense for a very long time that there's going to come a day where he's going to become self-aware enough, he's going to realize like, oh, I'm different or other people perceive me as being different. And what does that mean exactly? And so I, I had a feeling that moment was coming. And so this was the moment. And I, so I've, I've got this whole speech. I won't give you the whole thing, but I had this speech ready. I've thought about it many times over and over in my head. So when he said, Dad do I have autism? I launched into this thing and I began to talk to him. I said, "Uh, buddy, I told him about how um, he didn't even speak until he was almost five years old. I told him about how he would like not look at us when we came into a room. He wouldn't make eye contact with us. He wouldn't even acknowledge our presence. He was just kind of lost in his own little world of things he was doing. Uh, I told him about how he used to hold on to red objects. He would literally just grab, it always had to be red, a red object and he would hold it. And to the point where he wasn't developing. He wasn't learning to use his hands, like to feed himself or to eat or to do anything. I mean, it was really causing him to not go anywhere in life. And I mean, and then I told him about, but you talk now and you engage with people, you have friendships, you're learning, you're you're doing great in school, you're on track to graduate from high school. And I mean, I just I just built him up and just said, I'm so proud of you. Look at what you've been able to do. Because I didn't want him to feel you know, the weight of that. I wanted him to experience, like, the hope of, wow, but, but look how good you're doing. And so I finished my speech. I'm thinking, this is great. And so he's quiet again, and we're driving along in the car. And I assume the conversation is over. And then he asked me a question that I had no pre planned speech for, I had no uh, rehearsed idea that I was going to be answering this question. Maybe I should have seen it coming. But the question he asked, he said, Dad, why do I have autism? Why? Why do I have autism? And when he asked that question, something inside of me intrinsically understood, there's actually a couple questions underneath that question. You know what I mean? Yeah, the question is, Dad, why do I have autism? But, but the questions underneath that question are, you know, is God good? This God that you worship that we go to church and, and sing about, is God good? Does he love me? Or, or am I basically just this mistake? Am I some sort of cosmic error some here, somehow here by accident that needs to be fixed? And so when he asked that question, I I felt like this is a big moment. How I answer in this moment matters. And so what I did is I pulled the car over to the side of the road. I stopped the car so I could turn and look at him. And I said, I want you to look at me. Look at me. So he turns and he's looking right at me in my face. I said, I want you to listen to me very, very carefully. You are not a mistake. You were created on purpose and with a design. And God loves you very much. And not only that, I said, but whatever is broken inside of you and inside of me and inside of our world, nothing, there is nothing that's broken in us that we can't overcome with Jesus' help. Nothing. There's no obstacle. And I said, even better than that, Aaron, I said, you have to understand, I actually believe God has a purpose for you. He has a plan for your future. He has a plan for your life. You're not done. In fact, I told him, you don't even know this, but you've already been used by God to help a bunch of people. You don't even know it, but already God's been using you, and he wants to do that more and more and more in your life. You know what I told him? When, when When he asked the why question and I had nowhere to go, where my brain went, what I told him was creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Because it is the story. It is the story that we all live in. It's it's the why behind the what of everything in our world. And when we get it, when we understand it, we begin to see the world differently. We begin to understand it differently. Do you have any why questions today? Do you? When you look about your life, about why things have been the way they are in your life, Do you have any why questions about the world we live in? Maybe you've turned on the news recently and just been like, why, if God is so good, why does God allow this kind of stuff to happen? Do you have any why questions? Um, And and maybe you're trying to sort through, what does that mean about me? (laughs) I want you to listen to me very, very carefully. You are not a mistake. We were created on purpose with a design. And there are things that are broken in you and there are things that are broken in our world, but there is nothing that's so broken that it cannot be overcome without Jesus. And what's better even than that, my friends, is that there is a plan and there is a purpose to your future. There is something that God wants to use you for in the bigger story of the reconciliation, the restoration of all things that are happening on heaven and on earth. We get to be a part of that. See, your explanations about life are actually more important than your experiences. Because you can't control your experiences. I can't control what Hurricane Irma is going to do. I can't control what people are going to say to my son or what other messages he's going to get. I can't control what he's going to be able to do or what he's not going to be able to do in life. But I can arm him with some explanations. And those explanations are actually more important than your experiences. So we've got to root ourselves and build our lives deeply on the truth of Scripture. That's where we have to start. We have to decide for ourselves, is God actually asking me to join the parade? Not just watch the parade, but join it. Is he actually trying to speak to me about my life and my circumstances in the world I'm living in? When you start to get this, it becomes the powerful why that drives everything else. So I've got a couple of different takeaways. The band's actually gonna make their way up, um, and I wanna just give you a couple different applications, maybe things to do with this. First of all, I would love, after talking about the Bible for the last 35 minutes, I would love for you to take out your phone and go to the app store and download a Bible app if you haven't done it already. Um, there's several, actually, that you can download. The one I use, the one I highly recommend, is this one. It's from UVersion. Uh, life.church, actually was who originated it. You can find it in, in any app store or Android store. Go ahead, it's a free download. It's all these different translations of the Bible for free, and there's reading plans. So (laughs) application takeaway, I would love it if all of us just started a reading plan. Just start reading the Bible. Even if you don't believe the claims of it that are true, I'd invite you to start reading it too. Because it's amazing what God will begin to do when we just open ourselves up to the bigger story of what we're finding ourselves in? But get on a reading plan. Just start reading the Bible if it's not familiar to you. Put it on your phone because it's an easy way to always have it there. Um, and just begin to live into scripture. And then the second uh, takeaway I would say is um, there on your seats, you know you have the the brochure for our small groups, Um, something we do every single small group semester is we offer a class called Starting Point. I just gave you this 60,000-foot overview of Creation, Fall, Redemption, Restoration. The Starting Point is a class that runs during our small group semester, and actually it's a deep dive. It goes deeper into actually the, the context of scripture and the framework that God has for us, and uh, I would encourage you to do it. I would encourage you to sign up for that one. If the Bible, maybe you feel like, man, I'm one of those people that's had maybe an incomplete version of the story, and maybe I've made some assumptions about myself and about the world, and um, that God is this angry God (laughs) who hates me. Maybe you've had those kinds of thoughts. Take starting point. Uh, Go into the deep dive of Scripture uh, and allow yourself to just learn more about the Bible. That's a great place to start to really learn more. Um, so those are the two things, Bible app and then getting into starting point. And then we're going to close this morning by singing a song, uh, What a Beautiful Name It Is. Next week we're talking about Jesus. We've been talking about the Bible, and I want to tell you everything in the Bible points points toward the person of Jesus. It all is fulfilled in him. And at the restoration of all things, it's going to be him on the throne. So I wanted to close today. Let's just sing about Jesus. Let's just sing about the powerful name of Jesus and who he is Um, and that's where we're headed next week. And then I'll come back up and close this uh, with a benediction. But would you, would you stand? Let me just offer a prayer as we, before we sing. God, I just thank you this morning that you are a God who created us with potential and purpose. Um, God, I thank you that when we find ourselves in places of brokenness, in places of sin, in places of failure, it's nowhere that humanity hasn't been before. There's nothing brokenness in us that you cannot fix and put back together. We thank you for who you are, Jesus. Not just for who you were to a group of people um, called the Jewish people back in, in the Old Testament. God, thank you for who you are to us today, that you are the risen, resurrected Jesus who will sit on the throne for eternity. Thank you that we are called to be a part of this restoration of all things. We are your church. We're your hands and your feet, your presence in this world to carry the message of the gospel forward. Thank you that we get to be that. Thank you that we find ourselves in that. So God, even as we sing now, we just want to focus on who you are and just thank you for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name.